Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Okay, well, this past week has brought us just a whole grab bag of news to talk about. We've got election news to talk about. We've got Section 230 news to talk about. We've got vaccine news to talk about. So let's go ahead and get started. And of course, I will start this where I have been starting it since March, and that is with the unemployment numbers. And there is quite a bit of bad news on that front. Um, For the week ending on December 5th, initial unemployment claims spiked up to 947,000, which over the past about four to five weeks, we've been floating anywhere between like the 710s to 750,000 a week. So obviously this is a very large spike at a time of year where you would normally see things heading in the opposite direction because of seasonal employment. Um, I know I've been kind of documenting what I've been seeing on the ground here. Um, there were more people out and about this week And so, I mean, there's going to be a little bit of an uptick, especially in retail and stuff, because it is the holiday season. People are doing their Christmas shopping, although I do maintain most people are going to do it online this year. And that's looking like that is what what we are going to be getting. So, yeah, having it tick up that high that quick is not not a particularly good sign. Not good. Opposite of what you want. And I was I was quite shocked to see it jump that high that that's a pretty drastic spike week over week. And there was some talk that last week's numbers might have been a bit deflated due to the Thanksgiving holiday weekend and people not filing and waiting till that next week. But still, that's that's over a 200,000 person jump. So yikes. Um, a heads up for anybody who is still receiving any kind of benefit from the CARES Act. Um, that would be, I know there was some some rental assistance kind of stuff in there, some rental forbearance stuff. Um, they're still doing the federal unemployment for non-traditional employees, for people who would be freelancers or gig economy folks or people who would not qualify for traditional state-based unemployment. Um, that is beginning to come to an end. And I want to give you a heads up because just like with the federal unemployment program, The last day of the program is not the last day of the month. It is the last Friday of the full week of December. So the so CARES Act does not expire on December 31st. It expires on December 26th. So if you are somebody who is still receiving benefits from that, keep that in mind that that last week of December going into January is not covered by the CARES Act. So plan accordingly. Of course, there's been nothing so far out of Congress about a second stimulus bill. Um, They've been still kicking things back and forth. There was one floated this week that forwent doing a second round of like federal unemployment assistance in lieu of doing a $600 one-time check. And I'm just like, what is that supposed to accomplish? I mean... (laughs) I mean, giving people one check for $600 is nice, but what what are you supposed to do with that? Like, I don't, I don't know. Nothing, nothing coming out of Congress yet that's really anything that's going to be like solid, making it to Donald Trump's desk or eventually Joe Biden's desk. 
So come December 26th, that is going to be the end of any federal assistance related to the COVID pandemic. So plan accordingly. Man, this is just, this is bad. And we are starting to go into, it looks like a second wave of lockdowns. Um, New York City announced this past week that starting on Monday the 14th, there will be a two-week ban on indoor dining. So we're shutting down the restaurants in New York City again, ostensibly for two weeks, but who the hell knows at this point? Um, I guess theoretically they could still do outdoor dining. The problem is it's fucking cold in New York right now. Or at least it's it's kind of fluctuating a lot here on the East Coast. Some days it's nice. Some days it's horrible. It's going to start being horrible over the next couple of weeks. And obviously a two-week ban is going to run right up on Christmas and Christmas Eve. Yeah, not not good. Um, I believe out in LA, though, they are allowed to do the outdoor dining again. There was a lawsuit and a judge struck down the outdoor dining ban. So I think you can eat outside in LA again. But again, actually, no, I take that back because there's still a statewide order against that. So it's such a mess. This is just such, such a mess. And oh boy, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, but nothing... Nothing super promising on the horizon as far as unemployment numbers or as far as any kind of federal assistance. And it is starting to look like people are going to start being unwillfully unemployed again. (laughs) It's just like the nicest way I could possibly put that. And there's no assistance on the horizon. So I don't know what the hell these workers are supposed to do. I don't know what they're supposed to do for two weeks for money. I mean, people still have rent. They still have payments. Like it's like you still have to like be an adult and pay your bills and stuff, but you can't go to work. So what the fuck these people are supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's such a mess. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of scientific rational basis for this. Um, They do contact tracing in New York City, but their contact tracing is... Kind of leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, you can't really trace back to where somebody might have actually contracted COVID. So you can't, there, there's no hard data saying that indoor dining causes super spreader events or causes spikes. It's just, it's just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks at this point. But thankfully, and we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, the vaccine is on the road. Like it literally, like not metaphorically, like literally. There, there is vaccine in trucks, on planes right now, going out into distribution into various and assorted places. So anyway, we will get to that because like I, like I try to do, I try to handle these chronologically. So moving on, and this is, there's so much to talk about this week. In fact, there's so much to talk about that you could almost forget the fact that um, uh, Trump announced that Rudy Giuliani has COVID and that... Jenna Ellis Esquire has COVID. <laughs> so Trump's legal team all just is slap full of COVID. Um, not that it really matters anymore at this point, because it looks like all of the legal challenges have been wrapped up at this point. I believe there's one appeal still kicking around in Wisconsin. But aside from that, all of the other cases have been decided. So the the legal part of this is over and 
We will discuss the the Supreme Court here in a second because there's a lawsuit, actually two lawsuits that we have to talk about before we talk about that one that have nothing to do with the election, but pertain to not so much Section 230, although I'm sure that'll probably get into it, but the the idea of antitrust. Um, both the FTC and in a separate lawsuit, um, 48 states attorneys general have filed suit against Facebook basically to break them up. If you're not aware, Facebook also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. And so the idea is now that Facebook needs to be broken up. But Facebook has pointed out several times that both of those acquisitions were approved by the FTC. So why are you crying? But yeah, this is just another one of those blue social media site bad things where it's nobody can exactly explain what breaking up these three companies would do for a consumer as far as helping them. I mean, there there's really no carryover between the apps. You don't have to use all of the apps. Like I use Instagram. I don't use WhatsApp anymore. I rarely use Facebook. I mainly only go on there to promote my content. I mean, I, just, I don't, this is so stupid. It is so, so stupid. And the the point is, and the reason why this is such a dangerous precedent to be setting is because Facebook did play by the rules. They went through the proper channels. They got FTC approval to buy Instagram and to buy WhatsApp. And I am so old that I remember when people laughed at them, especially the Instagram deal. Um, they bought Instagram back in 2012 for $1 billion. And then I believe it was 2014, they bought WhatsApp for $19 billion. That's, that's billion with a B, not, not million, billion. And people were like, Zuckerberg has lost his goddamn mind. Why the hell are you paying so much for these? It was definitely overvalued. He, he paid a lot of money to get those under the Facebook umbrella. And the argument was that he did it to try to consolidate any kind of competition against Facebook, which, okay, yeah, I mean, Facebook could have easily developed their own Instagram-like app and their own WhatsApp-type app, which technically I means Facebook Messenger does exist. I mean, they could have just used Facebook Messenger. But, I mean, they, they did it the right way. They got approval, and so now, now the FTC has something to say about it. And now... <laughs> Oh my God, this this lawsuit, if it goes forth, and I mean, I don't see how it wouldn't under a Biden administration because it's not exactly like Joe Biden is super friendly towards social media either. But this is, this is a lawsuit that's going to take years and years and years because obviously Facebook has very deep pockets to fight this. And it's just, I don't understand what the point is. Like, who cares? Who cares that Facebook owns these other two apps? There's no benefit to unbundling them. There's no benefit to forcing Facebook to sell them. And in fact, there's no, really, there should be no basis for the federal government or for any state's attorneys general to tell a private company that legally acquired other properties that, okay, you have to sell them now. Like, really? That's, that that is not a good precedent to set. <laughs> because then who's next? Like, okay, this is... The federal government has no business here. It's just none. Just none. But anyway, since that will be something that will take years to wind through the courts, let's move to something that 
has wound its way through the courts, and that is the 2020 election. Um, This past week, the Supreme Court declined to hear the Texas v. Pennsylvania lawsuit. Well, Texas v. Pennsylvania at all. It was, let's see, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Michigan that Texas was suing on the basis of, basically, let, um, let me try to back up and explain the whole concept of even bringing this to the Supreme Court in the first place. If one state wants to sue another state, the only venue they can do it in is the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has what is known as original jurisdiction over any lawsuits pertaining to that. So that is why it is brought to the Supreme Court. As I've explained before, the Supreme Court does not have to hear every case that is brought before it. They are very picky. They can choose what cases they do and do not want to take. And they chose, depending on how you want to look at this decision, it's either a straight unanimous 9-0 decision or a 7-2 decision, because here's here's what their breakdown was. Basically, everybody, well, I, I, I think everybody agreed there's just a little bit of a procedural thing here that Texas has no standing to bring this lawsuit. Here's the thing, and I've explained this before, but I'll explain it again in the context of this lawsuit. When you go to vote in your particular state, we call it voting for the president. You're not really voting for the president, though. What you're doing is you're participating in a statewide election to tell your state who you want your electors to vote for in the electoral college. That's why we have 50 state elections and not one federal election. That's also a reason why the Electoral College exists. So when you understand that that is what the voting process is, then you understand that Texas cannot sue another state for changes that they that the other states made to their voting restrictions, to their voting process this year, because Texas cannot claim to be an injured party. Nothing that any other state did injured any Texan. It did not stop any Texan from going and voting for who they think their electoral college votes should go to. So you can't really come in there and say that. And the other part of it, which wasn't part of the Supreme Court's decision to not hear this case, is that, and and I bring this up because this has been the basis of some lower court judges' decisions, is that If you, as a state, have an issue with another state's voting procedures, the time to bring that up is before the vote, not after the vote. Bringing it up after the vote, you're basically asking judges to disenfranchise voters who voted in the process that was presented as legal to them at the time of voting. No judge is going to do that unless you have an insane amount of evidence that something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Like, no judge is going to do that. They're not going to sign off on that. And that has been kind of the crux of a lot of the, like I said, the lower court decisions and a lot of what has been said by the lower court judges is that you're asking me to do this extraordinary thing and you're not giving me enough of a reason to do the extraordinary thing. So I'm not going to do that. But basically, bring it back to the Supreme Court, though. They decided to not hear the case based on the fact that they decided that Texas does not have standing. Now, 
as part of that decision, there's a little, it's not a dissent per se, but kind of a little bit of an aside from Justices Alito and Thomas that they would have preferred that the court did take on this case because they do believe in original jurisdiction. And so they feel like it would have been their place to take the case. But they specifically pointed out that while they feel that the case should have been heard, they would not have voted to grant Texas any relief, which basically in non-fancy way of saying they would they would have ruled against Texas. So even even those two justices who felt like the case should have been heard, point blank said that they would have ruled against Texas. So there was no way this lawsuit was going to make it past the Supreme Court, which anybody who is aware of much of anything could have told you that. A lot of people did try to tell you that because because of the standing issue. Like Texas does not have the right to go sue another state because they feel like that state altered their voting mechanisms in a way that is inconsistent with that state's constitution. And for what it is worth, all of these states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, all of their state Supreme Courts have heard cases related to that argument and have struck them down and said, no, this was done as per our state's constitution. Your argument is invalid. Please go away. (laughs) Well, they didn't say the last part, but you could... Trust me, towards the end here, some of these decisions that these judges were handing down, you you know they basically just wanted to tell the the Trump administration, just like, just fuck off already. Just please go away with this. This is, stop wasting our time, basically. So that pretty much ends that legal journey. We took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said no twice because they also said no to the Pennsylvania lawsuit. They declined to hear that one too. So yeah, that's about it. No more legal options. And of course, uh, the pivot, because the the whole argument about, well, we just want to let them play out the legal process and see where it leads. Yeah, no. (laughs) Oh, that was cute that people believed people when they said that. No, that was just a stall tactic. There was always going to be a pivot. No, there, there was never going to be like, oh, well, all right. I, I well, guess that is what it is. No, 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 no. Now we're pivoting to calling for martial law and that Donald Trump should invoke the Insurrection Act. And, oh, we, if you don't, well, not you at this point. I mean, th- at this point, I mean, I guess you can try to talk to the electors, but they ain't going to be hearing it. The next fight is going to be in Congress. And so the whole demand now is like, if you don't do this thing, if you don't overturn this election, if you don't if you don't keep Trump in there, we are going to burn the Republican Party down and start all over again. And I'm just like, <laughs> let me tell you about a time when a plucky upstart group of people decided that they were going to try to burn the Republican Party down and rebuild it. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, What's going to happen after all this is said and done? Who the hell knows? I don't know where this energy is going to go. I don't know what the fuck these people are going to do, but they're never going to accept the results of this election. And I said that even before the election, that there are going to be people who are never going to accept the results of this election. Like that's just been baked into the cake since like July, ever since Donald Trump 
started putting into people's head the whole idea of, oh, this this election's going to be rigged and there's going to be the voter fraud and it's going to be bad and the mail-in votes and blah, 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 blah. That, that's always been here, but I don't. People are taking this really fucking far. <laughs> I, you had the, the Arizona GOP who has, thankfully since deleted the tweet, retweeted somebody who said that they would die fighting these results and basically endorsing it being like, yeah, so would we. Would you? It's like, no! Fucking dying over this? You fucking lost your mind? But this is where people are. And there was the... There was a rally yesterday in D.C. and Just crazy pants nonsense stuff. The, the My Pillow guy was there and there's a bunch of other people there and it's... I mean... I don't, I don't know what's going to happen after January 20th, but I mean, it's, this is the, the election for all intents and purposes is done. Like the electoral college meets on Monday, the 14th, as it stands right now, the final electoral college results will be 306 to 232 in favor of Biden. All 50 states in the district of Columbia have certified their vote tallies. They've sent them on to the electors. As of Monday, the Electoral College will vote, and then it will be official. Joe Biden will be the official winner of the 2020 election, and that's about it. Now, of course, you can make the argument that Congress could do something about this. They, they really can't. Like, legally speaking, they really, really can't. But, of course, there will be grandstanding and just absolute nonsensical bullshit, just especially when you see what happened with the the Texas lawsuit um it, i think it was 109 of the republican members of the house signed on <laughs> supporting this you you had just you had a whole bunch of attorney generals signing on to support this and people kind of tried to hand wave this away as being like, okay, they know that this case has no merit. They know it has no chance of going forward. So this is just kind of like a performative, like purity test, show of allegiance to Donald Trump. I'm like, I don't care why they did it. I don't fucking care. The fact is they did it. Like, I just, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm baffled how a whole party is just going to go down the tubes for the sake of one man's bruised ego. I don't get it. I don't get it. But here we are. And so now, now this whole monster has been created where you have all of these conservatives who are now ready to like burn the GOP down. And I'm just like, whatever, bye. I've I've been saying the GOP can die in a fire for ages now. So if y'all want to burn it down and don't hurt my feelings, just... This time around, please don't start calling yourselves libertarians. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Unless you genuinely understand libertarian principles and genuinely want to come over to the team, don't be a disaffected Republican and call yourself a libertarian. Don't do that again. All right. We, we're still dealing with the damage from the last time. So what ends up happening? Anybody's guess. Not going anywhere, though. Donald Trump is going to maintain control of the Republican Party, for better or for worse, until at least 2022, maybe 2024. Still floating the idea that he might run in 2024. I just am not seeing it, just due to the age issue. But yeah, this is this is the GOP now. That's what they wanted, and now it's what they got. So, 
good times. Um, a couple of other stories floating around um, came to light this week that Hunter Biden is under investigation for tax-related stuff, which means we got to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop again. <laughs> um, kind of not surprising, especially when you, if you remember back to when the New York Post was originally reporting on the story, uh, they posted up a warrant for Hunter Biden's laptop from the, the computer repair shop that had a date of December of 2019. So they've been in possession of this, of his laptop for a year now, a little over. And I mean, I still have a lot of questions about this story. I still have a lot of questions about the chain of custody of this information and who got access to it, who didn't get access to it. But yes, there is apparently a tax-related thing going on with Hunter Biden. Um, both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden released statements on it saying, yep, this is happening and we're complying. So where that leads, I don't know. Um, I saw reporting that there was one email on his laptop that came from one of his associates saying that he had, I forget for what year, I want to say 2006. 16? I forget which tax year, but that he had forgotten to put $400,000 of money that he earned from Burisma on his tax returns. Um, no update as to whether he ever amended his tax return to fix that or not, but there's that. So, okay. I'm... I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess, I mean, the the... It's this is all taking place out of the Delaware office. They're being incredibly tight-lipped about it. Um, apparently, Bill Barr knew that this investigation was going on for months now and did not say anything publicly. So, Attorney General Bill Barr is now back on the Trump firing death watch <laughs> because apparently he didn't. He knew this didn't leak the information. Um, I mean, I, I'm still not entirely sure if this would have even affected the election or not. I mean, there's just so much else going on that I don't know if this would have even made a dent anyway. But so now everybody's mad at Bill Barr and apparently he's in on the plot now too. <laughs> everybody's in on the plot. I don't think I'm in on the plot. Nobody looped me in. But yeah, so, so Team MAGA is all mad at Bill Barr again, which if you remember... They got mad at him last week because the DOJ completed their investigation into the 2020 election and Bill Barr said that they found no significant election irregularities, voter fraud, anything that would make them question the results of the 2020 election, which means now Bill Barr is a, a swamp creature who is in on the whole plot to steal the election. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I, I just report the news, guys. I can't, I, I claim to always understand it, but that's what's going on. The other story is Eric Swalwell. Um, it came out this week. I think Axios was the first to report on it that there was a Chinese, I don't know if you really call her a spy, I guess for, for lack of a better term, we'll call her a spy, that had been infiltrating a lot of the Bay Area political scene and posing as like a fundraiser and stuff like that and that she had developed ties with Swalwell. And apparently the ending of this story is that it alarmed the FBI. The FBI contacted Swalwell. Swalwell broke off all contact with this woman and she 
soon thereafter mysteriously left the United States, presumably to go back to China. Um, interesting part of the story is that Axios said that while there's nothing particularly incriminating about Swalwell's actions with her, um, apparently there are two Midwestern mayors who went unnamed, who also had contact with this woman, Christina Fong or Fong Fong, depending on whether you want to go with her Chinese name or her Americanized Chinese name, um, who it seems that there is some compromising sexual material involved. So like I said, those two mayors have so far gone unnamed, but there is intimation that there are sex tapes out there. No intimation of sex tapes about Swalwell though. So again, I don't know what else more to say about that particular situation, but there it is. There's the news. <laughs> I just, I, I don't really know what to say about either one of those stories other than they exist and now I've reported on them. So moving on to the vaccine. On Friday, the FDA finally cleared the Pfizer vaccine for emergency authorized use and as of Today, Saturday, December thirteenth, shipment has started. There, there, it, it's it's on. It's out there. It, it's going to the places. So that is now we we are in the phase of vaccines where people are actually going to be able to get the vaccines. Um, a thing that happened over the week though. Um, Mark Meadows, who is right now the White House White House Chief of Staff threatened the head of the FDA and said, basically, if you do not get this done by Friday, I want your resignation, which, I mean, of course, I've been bitching about the FDA all damn year. They needed to hurry the fuck up. Hurry up. Let's go. It turns out that, like, these, the, the especially the mRNA vaccines were ready, like, two days after the the genome, the the actual like sequence for COVID was leaked out of China, yeah, they had that shit ready to go. We've just been waiting on the FDA this whole time, which completes a pattern of us waiting on the FDA this whole time for testing, for everything, for fucking everything. Like this is just, we need to have a conversation about how the FDA handles these sorts of situations, how we handle the approval process for vaccines, for testing, for medical devices, because the UK actually started administering the vaccines on Tuesday of this past week. And if you missed it, I retweeted it. I forget who it was uh, out there in the UK got the cutest interview. Oh my God, this old man was so precious. He's like 90 years old. And I guess they just like stopped him on the street. They weren't aware of the fact that he had just gotten the vaccine. And so they asked him like, okay, well, how, how did you get this? Like, how, how did you, what was the process? And he's just so blasé about the whole thing. He's just like, well, I rang up the hospital and then that's, what the fuck does vaccine? What are you doing the vaccine? And then they asked me a bunch of boring questions. And then they told me to come down. And then I was late for my appointment because I couldn't find a damn parking spot. And then I had a nasty lunch and then I got the vaccine. And it's just like, oh my God, this dude completely broke it down. But it's so sweet. He got the vaccine and now he plans to go to see his grandchildren for Christmas and give them a hug, which that's so nice. I mean, this man's in his 90s and you wouldn't even know it to look at him. But 
It, it does seem like in both the UK and in the US, um, the elderly are going to be given priority, which is as it should be. The high risk groups should get the vaccine first and then it will trickle down to the rest of us. So for us relatively young, relatively healthy people, we're probably looking at late spring to early summerish before we can get the vaccine. Although if somehow production ramps up, if say the Moderna vaccine gets approved for EUA, if the Johnson & Johnson one gets approved, then obviously that is going to increase the supply, which would increase the amount of people that could be vaccinated. So that is kind of still in flux. We, as I said, we still have two other vaccines that are still waiting for emergency use authorization, but the Pfizer one is currently, as we speak, on the road in the distribution supply chain. Yay. <laughs> I mean, and if you don't want to take it, then don't take it. Like, I'm not, I, I am not somebody who's like going to sit here and be hardcore and be like, you have to take it or you don't have to take it or don't take it. Like, just make the decision for yourself. That's, this is what we fight for as libertarians is bodily and individual autonomy. So if you want to take the vaccine, go for it. If you don't, okay, fine. I mean, that's about it. <laughs> But of course, there will be shaming both ways, and it's going to turn into a big political mess because this is where we live now. But at least there is progress for those who are excited about the vaccine. It's coming. It, it, it's coming. It's physically on its way to you at some point in the near future. Um, Walmart announced today that they will be distributing and administering the vaccine. So... I, I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do that. I know there are, I mean, obviously there's a lot of Walmarts with pharmacies. Um, I'm not sure, especially with the Moderna one. I think the Pfizer one is a little less delicate than the Moderna one, but the Moderna one requires the deep, deep cold storage. So I'm not sure how many places are really going to be equipped to stock that one. The Pfizer does require cold storage, but I don't think it's quite as intense as the Moderna one. Um, the, that, the Johnson & Johnson one is not going to be an mRNA vaccine, so I would imagine that one would be stored in the same way as flu, as like the, the yearly flu shot and stuff like that. Not entirely sure on that because there's not been a lot of data put out on that. Everybody's been kind of focusing on the mRNA vaccines that are coming out, so we shall see. Um, but yeah, Walmart is making plans to administer the vaccine. I would imagine, I mean, I guess... I mean, I know like CVS and places like that do the regular yearly flu shot. Like I said, I don't know if they're going to be equipped to stock the Pfizer vaccine. I don't know if they're going to have like the, the cold storage needed. Apparently Walmart does. I mean, because I mean, Walmarts typically have food, which means they have cold storage. So I, I will see how that works out. But it's on its way to you. <laughs> I mean, it's. I know, I know, I know we shouldn't complain about the length of time here because this is way faster than the FDA usually works. But come on, man, this shit was ready two days after the, the sequence was made public back in March. Actually, no, I believe it was February. And all this time, we've just been sitting here waiting for the FDA to do, I mean, sure, do the trials, do the testing. But a, a way that 
is is worth thinking about is again this difference between how the US and the UK handles the approval of new drugs to market. The UK in this instance did not wait for Pfizer to finish doing all their paperwork and then hand it over to them and then read it over. They read it on like a rolling timeline. So they were able to get this done a little faster. And the regulations in the UK, well, technically right now the EU, because they are still part of the EU, work kind of backwards from how the US handles it. Basically, the EU handles approval in a way of saying that, okay, so long as you can prove that this is not harmful to anybody, you can bring it to market. Whereas the U.S., when you bring something to market, you have to prove that it is beneficial. And it, and it sounds like there's not a lot of distinction there, but there actually is. If you make it to where you just have to prove that something is not actively harmful, that allows for a much speedier sort of approval process that allows for faster human trials, that allows for challenge trials, that allows for a lot more opportunities to get the testing done than we currently have in the United States. So maybe going forward, maybe in 2021, we can have a conversation about how the FDA operates. We probably won't, but it would be nice because obviously, I mean, this this pandemic has brought a lot of attention to how the FDA and the CDC handles things. And I know it's kind of fallen off lately, especially remember we were very, very angry in March and April at the CDC and the FDA for botching testing, which is absolutely as it should be. They screwed us. They, they fucked this up so bad. Oh my God. Still angry, still angry because we're still, we're still here. We're still living in this and we shouldn't be, we should not be here the reason we are here is because the government screwed up. So now might be a good time to talk about the reason why we have not had a vaccine for so long is because of how the FDA handles this particular sort of situation. It, it's worth talking about, especially when you look at the amount of deaths that could have been prevented, even if this process was sped up by a couple of weeks. Like really, when you, when you look at the numbers... I mean, it's just weeks matter, days matter. And like anything that could possibly have sped this up should have happened. It didn't. Here we are, hopefully going forward between vaccines, between herd immunity, we can get control of this. But yeah, there there needs to be some discussions had about how the federal government really, really, really screwed this up. Like, I, I can't imagine them operating any worse than they did. Probably the only good thing that the federal government did in this was Operation Warp Speed, which I will give Trump credit for that. That was a good idea. That's the only thing that got us this this fast. And if you are of the opinion that there is a role for government, that there is a role for the state, this would be it. I mean, it would be okay take the monies and go throw it at the, the, the vaccine makers to go fast. Do we will give you all the money. Go make the vaccine. Go, go save us. That, that would be an appropriate use of the state and of taxpayer funds. I think definitely more appropriate than bombing ground people. <laughs> all the money that we could have spent. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, this is just going to be an ongoing thing, but 
For now, I will go ahead and wrap this up because I've gone on for long enough. And if you've made it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. And also on my Substack where I have been posting regularly. And probably some housekeeping notes on that in the nearest future. Um, trying to finalize how I want to handle that because once again, my schedule has changed in my IRL life. So... If there is one thing that has just been a constant in my life, it's been constant flux. So in the next couple of weeks, I will be deciding on that. And I will let you guys know how we will be handling that going forward. But for now, take care and until next time.